Amen. So, uh, Father's Day, uh, there's a statement uh, in the scripture that tells us as believers uh, to reflect the character of God and to be the fathers to the fatherless. So, you know, there are those of us that have our own children. Uh, there are those of us who, you know, our children have grown and gone or are not with us anymore. There are opportunities to be a godly example uh, to the world all around us. Uh, whether we have that one-on-one -on -one time or if they can just know that we're a believer and they get to watch and recognize and see our character and conduct. Uh, people pay attention. Uh, there's there's a war uh, between heaven and hell, between God and uh, even the will of man. And uh, in that, people are constantly being prodded by our enemy to put believers under a microscope, and then our enemy attacks us and makes it difficult for us to stand in our integrity. Uh, my encouragement is that we would, one, rely upon the grace of God, because you're human, we're human, we're going to fail, but to stand in our faith and demonstrate that to the world around us, that uh, the world would see uh, what our Father is producing in all of us. You know, there are plenty of ladies in the room. And on Father's Day, the thing to recognize is the Heavenly Father and what He's producing, what He can produce in all of our lives and how that affects the world around us. There's a set of verses in Deuteronomy chapter 11. It begins at verse 18 that says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. This is taken from the NIV. Um, has its inaccuracies, but in this case, this passage reads fairly accurate and fairly well. It says, of those words uh, that are supposed to be in your hearts and minds, he says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Uh, now, a lot of people have trouble with the concept of tattoos, uh, but uh, I have put the word of God on both of my forearms that uh, would raise questions, debated it for years as to how I was going to do that, and uh, came up with just the two references. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, 36, it says, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. Hebrews 4, 12 the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, capable of dividing between bone and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, I have uh, been asked many times, many, many times, uh, what's up with you know, those tattoos on your arm? And I launch right into sermon. Just, I mean, you've asked, so here it is. And you can tell in like three seconds they are wanting to back out of the conversation. I don't just stop with one explanation of one reference. I'll go through the whole thing. You asked. You wanted to know. I'll tell you the whole thing. It's an opportunity to share the word of God. 
with people. I, please don't leave and go get tattoos. I'm not, you know, encouraging anyone to do that. That's my personal take on this right here. Bind them. Write them upon your hands. Write them upon your body that you would be a testimony to the world. You know, I, I get that's way over the top radical, uh, you know, what, I, what I've done. But, you know, that's generally speaking my approach to all things. Just be ridiculous about whatever you can be ridiculous about. You know, try to make it godly. You know, in this, you know, you know, put these as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Everywhere you go. Talk about the word of God. Speak about the word of God. And I was working on a tree crew uh, way back in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, at one point, uh, one of the crew members gets all flabbergasted with me. And he's, he's yelling at me about, you know, several times a day, you just launch into preaching. You just all of a sudden, right out of the blue, you just start talking about Jesus. And you're just sharing the Bible. What, you know, why do you do that? You're going to start driving us all crazy. You're going to stop doing that. So wait a minute. You're the one that keeps bringing Jesus up. And he was like, I do, what are you talking about? I said, if you'll notice, it's right after you take my Lord's name in vain that I say, since you brought Jesus up, and I just then start talking about Jesus. You're going to use my Lord's name in vain since we're talking about him. Let's talk about him in a positive manner. And I'll just share with you what he taught me this morning when I was in the word, what I'm learning from him presently. You, you want to bring up Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus. You know, that day he censored himself. You know, got angry a, a little while later and was like, uh, he had nothing to say. He didn't know how to talk without cursing. You know, he's stumbling and stammering over himself. Taught him a lesson along the way. You know, wherever you go, and you're sitting down and you're rising up, wherever you go, talk about the Lord, particularly with your children or wherever you are and whoever you're with. Use the opportunity to share with them. Write them on the door frame of your houses and on your gates. The posters and the signs and the plaques that are in our homes. You know, the bumper stickers that we're proclaiming these things wherever we go. So that your days and the days of your children may, in, you know, may be in many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. As many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. <clears throat> you know, the, the promise that the Lord gives isn't even so much length of days. It seems that way, the way this is written out. But it's the idea of, like, the fullness. You know, have you ever had those days where so much has gone on, it seems like there's a week that's passed in a single day? You know, a, a, a very fulfilling day, a very full day. You know, that's what he's describing is, you know, whether they be few in number or, you know, centuries in length, that they would be full and complete 
and accomplished in the Lord. So this following of the Lord, it has that great fulfillment. With that opening statement, I do want to go right to our normal study in Leviticus chapter 26. The Lord is dealing with the nation of Israel, and he's in the midst of delivering the law to them. He's right at the tail end. We're in the last two chapters of Leviticus, 26 and 27. Um, we'll get uh, the second account of the law in Deuteronomy, in case you were wondering what that was all about. Uh, we're going to see uh, many years pass between the nation of Israel receiving this law from God, and then that next generation uh, has, the first generation has completely died off in the wilderness, and the second generation has been birthed and raised and then brought to the Jordan River, and as they're going to cross over, they're given the law a second time because they weren't there at this occasion at Mount Sinai in the receiving of the law. So God or, you know, wants to make sure that they have that first-hand uh, reception and delivery of the law. And there are a couple of modifications to the law that apply more specifically to the people that are going into the land. So we're in Leviticus chapter 26, right at the very end of that first generation receiving the law directly from the Lord through Moses at Mount Sinai. Here in verse 1, the Lord says, You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths, and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, there are certain uh, cults and certain strange factions of Christianity that say you shouldn't have any carved images. You know, that's really hard to imagine. You know, you can't have a plaque. You can't have a statue. You know, if you've got a painting of Jesus in your house, that's idolatry, they insist. There's all kinds of weirdness to it. There's no uh, you know, forbidding of carved imagery. Uh, we've been through the book of Leviticus where the Lord very specifically tells them how to carve the images inside the sanctuary. Tells them very specifically how to mold the images of the angels that are going to be inside the Holy of Holies and on top of the Ark of the Covenant, so you know, embroidered into the fabric surrounding uh, the temple. There's lots of imagery. It's it's the key point of bowing down to it. You, you can't have any image or form or representation that you're praying to as though it were your God and looking for as to your answers. Uh, the church did this you know, on around 350 A.D., as Constantine made uh, Christianity the Roman state religion, 
He converted all of the pagan priests to Christian priests, literally with just a written order. You're no longer going to be, you know, teaching the people to worship the pantheon of, you know, Greek and Roman gods. Uh, you're now going to be Christian priests and teach people to worship Jesus Christ. And the questions started coming back. Well, what are we supposed to do with our temples? And what are we supposed to do with all of these statues? And so the order started going out of just convert them. You know, make the image of Semiramis, <clears throat> instead of being Semiramis, make it be, uh, you know, the image of Mary. Uh, you know, just tell everybody that's Mary. And uh, the baby that she's holding is not Nimrod. Uh, tell everybody that's the baby Jesus. And, uh, you know, all of the different Roman gods that you have around, um, give them different saints' names. And so the people immediately just started worshiping those statues and those idols in a Christian sense. And over time, that becomes the icons that are inside the churches. Uh, so the church finally wakes up. You know, we get to the 13 and 1400s, and, you know, people actually start reading the Bible for the first time on their own rather than it being just taught to them by a priesthood. And they see, oh, we're not supposed to be praying to these things. And so the church purges them out and gets rid of the statues and gets rid of the icons during the Protestant Reformation as they were protestant against the Roman Catholic institution that had been created. They became known as the Protestants and got rid of all of those things. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of that back into the Protestant churches where Protestant churches are acting like, oh, well, this is just a more holy and a more mystical way of worship, and that's what's been lost in the church is this sense of reverence. So we just need to put these images back up on the wall. We won't pray to them. We'll just put these images up around, and they'll represent the history of Christianity. It literally wasn't even two years, and they started <clears throat> in these churches setting up prayer stations where they were praying to those saints. You know, if you've got a certain health issue, then you want to pray to St. Christopher. If you, you know, got a certain family issue, you want to pray to this saint. If, you know, if you've lost your dog, then you want to pray to St. Bernard or, you know, whatever. It's just, it's, it's foolish. The church is going back to things that it grew up to the realization of being wrong and got rid of. Okay, this idolatry that the Lord is condemning right here has always plagued the church. It always creeps back in. The church always has to guard itself against this. There's one true living God. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. <clears throat> you might want to make note of Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. It says, Paul speaking to the church at Colossae, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, that's like moral uncleanness, passion, the idea of lust, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These things are idolatry. 
if if we can look at issues like fornication and I and covetousness and recognize that they are idolatry, then we need to look at issues such as drunkenness and greed. Right? I mean, here's Jesus telling us you cannot serve both God and mammon. <clears throat> Can't serve money and Jesus Christ simultaneously. Money is an excellent servant. It's an excellent tool. It does a lot of work in this world. It's an incredibly cruel master. If it owns you, if it controls you, if it dominates you, money can be incredibly wicked. It can't become an idol in your heart. Here's the litmus test. Spend enough time in the scripture to realize what you should be receiving from the Lord in your relationship with him. And now start asking yourself, am I receiving those things from any other place? Am I finding my fulfillment in sexual pleasure? Do I find my identity in education, knowledge, rather than in Jesus Christ? Am, am I being fulfilled and having, you know, trying to find peace through my use of drugs or alcohol rather than my relationship with the Lord? then you can conclude that you've created for yourself a form of idolatry. Because those things are supposed to be found in Jesus Christ. And they can be found. Here's the thing. Every single one of us can find those things in Jesus Christ. Uh, we tell ourselves that we're unique. Right? Yeah, okay, well, maybe Pastor Will has found that, but he's not been through the things I've been through. He doesn't have to deal with what I deal with. Well, you know what? Let's sit down and talk. Because as we sit down and talk, what we're going to find is your temptations and your challenges and your difficulties are just like mine. The scripture says so. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that no temptation has overtaken us except what is common to man. It is the same. We're all human. We have the struggle that is being human, right? Peter told us that everything that pertains to life and godliness can be found in the divine power of Jesus Christ. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Guess what? There's nothing outside that. That covers all realms. Jesus Christ can fulfill whatever we're going to, looking to, feeling for. Let Jesus be your answer. Create no idolatry for yourself. Uh, chapter 26, verse 3, begins with the word if. Okay? If. Everything is conditional that follows. If. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3. If you walk in my statutes, and keep my commandments and perform them. Then I will give you rain in its season. Now, as he begins this discussion, understand that he's talking to farmers. All of them are farmers, right? The, the whole culture 
is focused around farming. And I say all of them are farmers. Uh, that's, that's inaccurate. The entire culture is agricultural. So even if you've got a different job, you've got your little hot dog stand. They're, they're kosher hot dogs. But even if you've got your hot dog stand over here and you're supplying the field workers, you're making your money based upon the fact that they're there working the fields. Everything about the culture is focused on farming. The whole, whole of every industry is an agrarian one. And the Lord is saying, if conditionally you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in the land safely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down. None will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts. Keep that in mind. The sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies. They shall Fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred. A hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. The idea of like falling on their own swords. You, you won't even have to battle them much is the idea. All very conditional. So he starts with the discussion of their crops and says... Essentially, one harvest is going to lead right into the next harvest and right into the next harvest and back around to the first harvest and the second. And you're going to be just continually planting and reaping. If you worship me, there will be an abundance in your life that will be constant and continuous. You know, I have seen this in my own life. There have been times early on in our walk with the Lord where we struggled and wrestled. And as we learned to trust the Lord, then the Lord made provision. And honestly, you know, I'm not up here preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. Not, not in any way, right? There were times where things were incredibly lean. I, I was uh, describing to my youngest daughter last night, uh, we worked at a pizza place years ago. And, uh, it ended up being that I had an arrangement uh, with the management where uh, they would throw out a whole bunch of pizza every night. And they allowed me to come in, cook off all of that pizza, and take it over to the local college. And I had made arrangements with the local college security that if I offered them the opportunity to buy it first, if they didn't want it, then they'd let me go into the college students. And I sold pizza at bid. Just buy the slice, buy the pizza, whatever. Whatever you're going to, highest bidder gets it. You know, say some people come out and offer me $10 for the whole pizza. Other people are doing, you know, like a dollar a slice. That was our gas money for a long time. Every single night. Even when I wasn't scheduled to work, I would go in and all the stuff they were going to throw away, I'd cook it all off and take it over to the local college and sell it. The Lord sustained us. In our simplicity, 
You know, I had uh, two jobs and Lori had a job uh, herself at the time. And I was doing that every single night. Going over, cook off the pizza, take it to the college, make a few bucks. The Lord taught us to take care of ourselves and he took care of us. Uh, we've never, you know, I was talking to a friend who was struggling with his finances once. And I said, you know, when I think about hunger, it comes right down to it is I was scared of being hungry once, you know, that's about as close as I've ever gotten to being hungry, you know, being worried about being hungry. The Lord takes care of us when we pay attention to our relationship with him first, when he is our priority. You know, Jesus saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's talking about food, clothing, and shelter. You'll have your basic necessities. You know, some of us have much more than our basic necessities. But you're going to be sustained if you will trust the Lord. You know, then he moves into this uh, discussion about the evil beast. I don't know if you guys have you know, you look around and you see the, the insanity that's on the television, on the internet right now. It's just how much more stupid can it get, right? I mean, I, I say that and then, you know, bite back my words because it'll be more stupid. You know, I just uh, caught a quick glimpse of an article this morning and uh, <clears throat> a certain uh, news anchor that had mocked our president in 2017 as they were removing a couple of Confederate statues in southern states. In 2017, our president said, basically mark my words, uh, they'll be tearing down George Washington's statue and Thomas Jefferson's statue next. And the news anchor in 2017 mocked him for saying that <clears throat> literally you know how ridiculous can this president be he's he's acting like there are going to be riots in the streets and they're going to be ripping down you know every statue of our founding fathers before this is all done what an idiot you know he went on and on about how stupid our president was for saying that i wonder if he's going to appear in the news you know soon and apologize for those things because this week they have been tearing down statues of Jefferson and Washington. You know, the deterioration of our culture and the things that are going on all around us is insane. You know, the evil beasts that he will remove from the land, he tells them later, if you depart from worshiping me, I'm going to allow the wild animals to begin to attack you. Hey, go home and type that in. Increased number of wild animal attacks. You'll be very startled. You know, England, foxes are attacking people <coughs> inexplicably all over the place. In homes, you know, uh, family enjoying an evening together. Here's muffled cries from upstairs. Just thinks... Junior is having a hard time sleeping. They rush up to see what's going on. A fox is in their home attacking their child in his bed. You know, here in America, <clears throat> I know two separate occasions where <clears throat> families hear the dog 
having a fit and crashing around and they burst out of their bedroom in the middle of the night to see what's going on with their dog and the dog is having at it with a bear that is in their home. You know, wild cats attacking people all over the U.S. In places we didn't know we had wild cats in existence. When, when we depart from worshiping God and we move, tell, tell me this nation doesn't worship money. Right? Tell me this nation is not uh, about materialism and possessions. This, this nation is not worshiping Jesus Christ as it did, as it should. And we're going to continue to see this nonsense increase more and more dramatically. Uh, one thing I want you to note as we move through this is how the Lord describes successive waves that come. I'm going to do this. And if you don't repent and you continue, then I'm going to do that. And if you don't repent and you continue, then I'm going to do this. Wave after wave after wave. When you start to examine it, I, I want you to be aware of it before we get there. <clears throat> when you start to examine it in this chapter, try to figure out where we are right now and see what's coming next. See what lies ahead of us. It's a horrifying thought. So, here again, I said, right, at verse 3, it was an if. This is conditional. The blessings are conditional. Verse 9. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. You're not even going to be finishing the old harvest before it's going to be time to bring in the new harvest. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, hate you. Um, abhor is a lost term. It's the idea of you hate something so bad that it causes you to be nauseous. It'll, it'll make you sick. Um, ha have you ever had occasion where um, you, <clears throat> you like got violently ill on a certain food you know maybe from the certain food or you were already sick and you ate i i had a beautiful occasion when i was uh, in a, my teen years where my mother used to make amazing fried rice and uh, you know come home and big frying pan all full and just ate a mountain of that and wasn't feeling too hot in the beginning and by the end was feeling really terrible and like a half hour later you know Violently ejected all of that from my body. <clears throat> I could not smell fried rice <clears throat> or look at fried rice for decades. Literally after that. To, to, to eat, just, oh, wow, I got to leave. I can't be here. There's fried rice present. That's the idea of abhor. Okay, the Lord's going to use that term several times. I will not abhor you. Later, he's going to say, if you do these things, I will abhor you. <clears throat> you're you're going to cause in me a violent reaction of illness to the point where I can't even look upon you. You're going to make me nauseous. <clears throat> I will walk among you and be your God. You shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should 
not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. That burden of bondage you were under, the yoke, like a yoke of oxen, I removed you from that sin and from that bondage uh, as he has with us, delivering us from our disobedience and our sin and providing us salvation. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. And guess what? It is the idea of terrorism. It's the idea of living with constant fear in insecurity. You know, ha having all around you uh, those worries, those concerns. You know, uh, the, the people want to be politically correct today. But look at the reactions of people when some poor Muslim person, and I do mean that uh, that way, has gotten onto an airplane in their Middle Eastern or, you know, their religious garb, and, and everyone around them is looking at them with fear and trepidation. They're just trying to get to the next place and visit their relatives like everybody else. But the terrorism we have all experienced, including them, causes everybody to live with terror in their heart, worry and concern. There was a time where that didn't invoke any reaction, right? They didn't have any of that concern for us. We've got that everywhere now. Look, look what's going on in our culture right now and tell me that's not going to produce a similar thing in days, weeks, months, and years to come. The distrust of one segment of society against another segment. It, it, this isn't just race, right? Now you've got culture class going on. Impoverished against wealthy, you know, uh, the minorities hate one another along with the Caucasian element of our culture. We are being splintered apart in every direction. We need the unifying love of Jesus Christ. Here, <coughs> you know, if you are not obey me, we're going to be a point terror over you, wasting disease and fever which shall consume your eyes, literally destroy your eyesight and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Those who hate you will rule over you. Hey, <clears throat> you can ask me for this later personally if you want it. I have an article that was printed in 2010 about the economic collapse of the United States, or it was worldwide, but particularly the United States in 2008. It was uh, published in uh, the American Legion 
journal, and uh, it has uh, the the author of the article is one of the nation's leading economists, and he explains no speculation. He explains in 2010 how they knew that the economic collapse of 2008 was orchestrated by the Chinese government. They invested heavily in the American dollar, pushing its value really high, and then extracted all of that support out from underneath it, causing it to collapse. The housing bubble that was there went down with it, but it was because the dollar was falling. Six years before that, the two generals, or they were colonels at the time, that led that whole endeavor on the part of the Chinese government had published uh, a paper on how they were going to do that because it was legal and it was part of what they call unrestricted warfare. And they had actually learned it from Ronald Reagan who did it to the USSR in the late 80s. Anybody remember that economic collapse? Ronald Reagan, through the United States government, did the same thing to the Russian economy. We're, we are suffering at the hands of our enemies. That's not like conspiracy theory stuff. They have all of the evidence laid out of this is when the investment was made, this is what it did to the American economy, this is when they extracted it, this is where the collapse began, this is what it resulted in, and this is where we ended up. It's a very a systematic paper trail that they were able to follow. We, we are, we are currently, you guys, presently, this nation, is, I, I hope to God that this scares the stuffing out of every one of you and anyone who listens online to this message. Because what God is saying about these current conditions right now, you've got to read all the way to the end and see what's ahead of us. There's an attitude in the church like, oh, we're going to just turn this whole ship around. If this nation as a whole does not turn around and repent, then what lies ahead in this prediction? That's what's ahead for my kids and my grandkids and great-grandkids. and th This is what's in store for this nation, what we're looking at right here. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not a prophet. This is God speaking through Moses right here, right? Those who do not learn from history are what? They're doomed to repeat it, right? Well, we'd be foolish to not be scared out of our boots and actually do something about it. <clears throat> so, you'll be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Uh, guilty man flees when no one pursues him is what Proverbs says. And we are profoundly guilty. Listen, if the United States military was not all over the world doing what they're doing right now, preventing crime and stopping and, you know, correcting insurgents and all kinds of madness. Some of, a lot of it we're not even aware of what our government is doing in order to protect us. If, if our government was not there through our United States military, the world would be a horrible place to exist in. But the profound hypocrisy of our nation as we are simultaneously killing one million of our unborn children every single year. You know, point the finger and demand that the rest of the world shape up and behave themselves and, you know, offer you know, human rights to the women and children of their cultures. 
like we've got any room to correct the rest of the world. We're the number one producer and distributor of drugs and alcohol and pornography all over the world. The United States of America. This is who we are as a nation. Why in the world do we think that we're not currently experiencing the judgment of God and going to continue to experience the judgment of God? This is a broken, sick, and twisted nation. 18. After all this, if you do not obey me. Do you see how he says that after all this? So I'm going to do all of these things to you. You know, first level. You're not going to pay it. Okay, after all of this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. You know, the heavens like iron, the earth like bronze, you know, two farmers, you know, imagine that thought, you know, you wake up and magically your whole field has been turned into bronze. Like, how are you going to till that and plant anything? You know, you're just going to be walking along making sparks with your, it's just hopeless at that point. You're not going to be able to have any fruitfulness, any prosperity with, uh, you know, what you have as resources. Then, if you want walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues. Okay, so this is another wave according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which will rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. No? Have you seen the images of the empty highways? Right? I mean, who would have ever, right? I mean, you read this and you get some old world sense of, you know, desolation and, yeah, right. Who would have ever thought that you could see daily photographs of the L.A. entrance, eight lanes wide, and there are like 12 cars on it? I have, you know, come over the crest of that hill after visiting my daughter, and it was eight lanes wide, and there was just, you know, 4.30 in the morning as we're trying to get into LAX, and it's just a long ribbon of red taillights <laughs> all the way down into the city. And you're like, wow, that just added like three hours to my trip. And literally, I mean, you know, stop and like put it in park. Just <laughs> wait, wait for somebody to honk behind you so you can move the seven feet to, you know, the next parking spot. 12 cars, you know, the, the highway's empty. You're going to come to a place, wild beasts, I mentioned it, right? He'll protect them if that conditional, no, okay, how about wild beasts? And if by these things you are not reformed by me, I underlined that. I double underlined me. If you are not reformed by me, meaning I'm doing this stuff to you, 
Now, people don't like to say that, oh, God doesn't do that sort of thing. He will discipline and correct those that are his own in order to bring them to repentance. He will bring hardship to your life. He'll open the floodgate and let it walk right through your front door. Not going to repent? If by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of my covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence amongst you. Disease. I will send disease among you. And you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. What enemy would that be? Would it be China? Would it be communism? Is that not the perennial enemy of democracy and America? Right? <clears throat> if you haven't figured it out, you know, there's, there's no question now that the COVID-19 virus came from Wuhan, China. Now, there are a lot of people that want to debate that endlessly. But here's a thought. Okay, a lot of people want to say, you know, came from the wet market and all these different things. Okay, here's a thought. Um, uh, Judy Malkovich, uh, she's a virologist and has a number of different studies she's been responsible for, been part of the research on AIDS and the development of certain treatments. A brilliant woman. Uh, she explains that um, COVID-19, which is, part of the SARS family, if you're not aware of that, uh, ha has been around for a long time. I, I mean, COVID vi virus, uh, COVID-19, because it emerged in 2019. But uh, where COVID virus was and where it now is, uh, she describes as, as evolution. But she, she says that it would take more than 200 years. It's really mutation right? Not evolution. It would take more than 200 years for that virus to develop to where it could infect humans the way it currently is. Infecting humans. Uh, she, she explains that the military labs she's worked in, they actually have process by which they can teach a virus molecularly how to change itself so that it can more easily infect the next level of host and the next level of host and the next level of host. She's saying where it was when she was studying and where it is now 10 years later is an obvious display of human manipulation. That by nature, it would have taken hundreds of years for that to develop to cross-contaminate the way that it has. It absolutely would not have. Now, was it a purposeful infection? Who knows, right? We could sit around and debate the conspiracy endlessly. What we know, conclusively, is developed by human beings, its origin, Wuhan, China. The perennial enemy of democracy, right? Russia, communism, China, communism, We've been at battle for how long o over this, you know, freedom versus slavery issue? 
And here we are. Our enemies have gained the upper hand is what I'm telling you. Why? Not because they're smarter. Not because they're more clever. Because God has removed his barrier of protection. Because we have pushed his hand away. We don't want him in our schools. We don't want him in our culture. We don't want him in our voting booth. We definitely don't want him in the White House. We don't. We got a whole bunch of places we do not want him in our culture. And okay, you don't want him in your culture? Then here comes your enemy. And we're suffering the consequences. The horrifying thing is, this isn't the end. I'm just describing to us what's part way through the process, the pestilence. You shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. The idea is that there will be so little that they have to measure out small quantities to each person. Here's your portion, and here's your portion, and here's your portion, and here's your portion, and it won't be enough. Now, 10 women breaking, you know, making bread in one oven, there's going to be few places to prepare and acquire food, and it will be measured out to each person in ration, and that won't be anywhere near enough for each person. We're not there yet, right? But what I just read to us, we are there. So how far are we away from this happening, you guys? No? Think it's impossible? Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 16, the prophet said, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. And they shall eat bread by weight with anxiety and shall drink water by measure and with dread that they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away because of their iniquity. The abundance may disappear right in front of our eyes. 26, 27. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me. Then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. Now he adds fury to that accusation. He previously said he would walk contrary. Now he's going to walk contrary in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out the sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. And you and your enemy's land, 
Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. Two things. One, the Lord is saying to this, saying this to them before they go into the land. So they haven't even experienced the abundance and the prosperity yet. And he's saying, I'm telling you what the end result is going to be if you do not obey me. The forewarning of disobedience. Secondly, this statement of cannibalism. Uh, sharing this with people and they try to find figurative ways of life. Right, yeah, that's, you know. No, no, they literally were cannibalizing their children before this was done. There's literally a description of the king walking upon the walls and they're surrounded by the invading army and a woman comes to him in torment and wants the king to give her justice because she killed her son and she and another woman ate her son with the agreement that the following day they would kill the other woman's son and eat that child. And now that woman has gone and hidden her child. And so she's there pleading with the king, make this woman tell me where her son is. And the king rips his clothes in torment over the fact that they've fallen to the place of eating their own infant children. I'm not just doing this for graphic effect, you guys. This nation is blind and stupid for what lies ahead of us. This is, this is not some you know, picturesque description of the horrors of sin and what it might produce. This is God literally saying you are literally going to face these issues if you abandon me. If you're not worshiping the Lord, then you are worshiping something else. And if you're worshiping something else, then in effect, you're worshiping Satan. Who would want to be a Satan worshiper, right? Obviously, that's going to produce death and insanity and torment and horrendous things. This nation needs to repent. And here is our sister Israel serving as an example, this issue of the Sabbaths and the land resting. Daniel is in captivity in Babylon and he's reading Jeremiah and he sees what the Lord has said of how they're going to have to stay in Babylon until 70 years have passed. Jeremiah 29 10. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. And cause you to return to this place after the Sabbaths have been fulfilled. God is giving them repentance. 26 verse 36. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into your hearts in the land of your enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. And they shall flee as though fleeing from a sword. And they shall, shall fall <clears throat> when no one pursues. It's post-traumatic stress disorder is what's being described. Right? Up until uh, the Vietnam War, they referred to it as shell shock. 
right? Men get into battle and the horrors of war that they're seeing all around them, there comes a point where very often their spirit breaks. They can continue to function inside combat situations, but their brain and their nervous system are so rattled that they become fearful and flight-filled for the rest of their lives very often. We live in such security. As difficult as so many things are around us, there's much worse that can and will come. They shall stumble over one another, as it were, before a sword, when no one pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up, and those of you who are left shall waste away in your iniquity and in your enemies' lands. Also, in your father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. Now, look, I know we're right at time, but I want to read the rest of this because while all of that's horrible, we know the character of God, his graciousness and his forgiveness. So we got to get the complete picture. 2640, but again, conditional. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquities of their fathers. See, this is the thing. Right now, our culture is not confessing its sin. Homosexuality. It's just an alternative lifestyle, right? No, it's a sin. Fornication. Right? No, it was just necessary things. No, it's not necessary. It's a sin. Abandonment of children by fathers. Sin. Until we start confessing the sins, all that's doing is reading and learning what God calls sin and stopping. Uh, how about this one? How about this one? Drug addiction and alcoholism. Right? That's a disease. No, it's sin. It's the choice I made for years and many of us made for years. You don't have a sickness. You do not have a sickness. And until you stop calling it a sickness, we're going to head right down this road. Until our culture stops redefining sin. This is what we're going to experience. You know, transgenderism. LBGTQ. No, sin. Sin. Until we agree with God, this is the road we're going down. This is where we're headed until you confess the iniquities of your father, their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. Not that he forgot. He will restore the remembrance into current activity. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They, sh they will accept their guilt because they despised my judgment. And because their soul abhorred my statutes 
And yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. Why? Because I'm the Lord their God. Not just because of that position. That, that implies all that God is. God is only good. Why, why won't I hate them? Why won't I utterly reject them? Because I'm God. Which implies because I'm good. Because I am of my own character. And for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Jonah was told by the Lord that he, <clears throat> excuse me, had to go to Nineveh and warn them if they didn't repent of their sins, God was going to destroy them. The Ninevites were unthinkably brutal to all of the nations around them. Particularly, they had done horrible things to the nation of Israel. When Jonah hears, you have to go preach to Nineveh and tell them to repent or I'm going to destroy them, Jonah says, awesome, you're going to destroy them. And he heads the other direction. He gets on a boat and he goes to Tarshish. And most of us know the story, right? Storm comes up, so severe, the crew all think this is a supernatural storm, it's so bad, we've angered the gods, and let's draw lots and find out which one of us has angered the gods, and it falls on Jonah, and Jonah says, I'm actually the guy, <laughs> I've offended the god, and they go, well, who's your god, because we'll just offer him a sacrifice, and they're thinking like, you know, the god of the mountains, or the god of the rivers, or maybe even the god of the sea. I mean, here we are. Maybe it's Poseidon, and the god of the sea is angry. And Jonah says, no, it's worse than that. I've angered the god of all creation. There's no hope. Your only hope is throw me overboard. They throw him overboard, and God prepared a great fish. The way it's described seems like Jonah's like falling through the air, and the fish just swallows him. Three days and three nights, Partially digested, he gets puked up on the beach. Where the people of Nineveh worshipped the fish god. So the fish god pukes a prophet out that says, Nine to forty days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed unless you repent. And all of the people repent. Jonah is unsure of their repentance, so he goes up and he sits on a hillside to watch and wait for the fire to fall from heaven and destroy the people of Nineveh. That's how much he hates them. He's been through all this junk and swallowed by a fish, and now he's going to wait and watch. And God basically tells Jonah, the people have repented, and I'm not going to destroy them. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, 
a God who relents from sending calamity. God wants to forgive. He wants to heal. He wants to restore you and me. This is his character. He wants to restore our nation. But our nation has to admit it's wrong. And this is why it is wrong of us to shy away from the message of repentance. John the Baptist was bold and just stood and told the people, you need to repent of your sins. We have to be bold. <clears throat> Listen, some of you expressed to me, I'm so blessed by you. You opened the church back up. Bold move. Glad you did that. I did that out of the boldness that causes me to come here and say to you, be bold. I might lose my job. Will, praise God. I still might go to jail for having this church open. The boldness needs to be for repentance. The worship of Jesus Christ. To call our culture to repent of its sin. To stand up and say to people, you don't have an illness. You're a drunkard. And you need to repent. And I can help you with that. Let's go talk to my pastor. He works in a program called CRD. He'll get you in. You can get free of your alcoholism, your drug addiction, your homosexuality. You can be delivered from these things. He's helped people go to Pure Life Ministries and be delivered from pornography. He's helped people. Get, we, we can together find God and be delivered from our sin. We have to be people that have been, number one, freed from our sin and calling our nation to be freed from its sin. If we do not do this, you guys, this is what lies ahead of us. All of this junk. If you're thinking, well, I'm so many years old, I don't have much time to worry about it. There's a generation right behind you. Most of us have children and, and or grandchildren. They're going to have to go through this. We need to call our nation to repent. No matter what the cost is to us. No matter what the cost is to us. Imagine what the cost will be to them if we do not. The people need to turn from their sins. Last verse, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 46. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. Pray we would trust the word of the Lord and see its work in our lives. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, I thank you for your love and your graciousness to declare to us the problems and the judgments that will come from a lack of repentance. Help us to be men and women who, first of all, are personally repentant, that we would have no hidden sin in our lives, that we would walk in obedience to you. Lord, help us to be your ministers and your messengers, that we would carry this message to the world around us. Prepare the hearts of our communities 
whatever our personal community is, our home, our neighborhood, our classmates, our work, the world at large. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Help us to be the catalyst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.